but you know there was no way to, for you to know just how consequential this particular race was going to be now the whole country is watching and we've got these two senate races going on in georgia and you're very much a part of it and so i just want to flag that for somebody who's thinking about step stepping up and standing up that's the pastor in me i want to encourage you to step up because you don't know the ripple effect that your voice can have You are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball. Happy Thursday, women's basketball fans. The voice you just heard was that of Raphael Warnock. You know today is Thursday, so we're doing social social justice Thursdays in women's basketball, so we're going to take it back to some WNBA players. Raphael Warnock talking about how nobody at the time knew how important the Senate races, plural, not just his race, but there are two Senate runoffs happening in January, and Reverend Warnock giving his props, his propas, to the WNBA players for engaging in this conversation. That clip came from an event that was in uh, full discretion and disclosure, promoting Reverend Warnock as a candidate and also helping to raise money for Reverend Warnock. Um, For a lot of reasons, I want to be thoughtful of how I cut some of these clips um, because um, I'm not personally endorsing Reverend Warnock. Locked on Women's Basketball is not endorsing Reverend Warnock to my knowledge. Um, This is really about dissecting pieces of that fundraising speech to discuss the impact of athlete activism, particularly as we saw it in an unprecedented, unparalleled way in the WNBA, but even more specifically with the WNBPA. So Reverend Warnock was in conversation live with Sue Bird, Neka Ogumike, and Angel McCautry. There were three other WNBA players that offered remarks. Unfortunately, due to technical difficulties, we couldn't hear from all of them. Um, but this episode is going to break that down a little bit. Um, and again, not so much uh, the the election in Georgia, although I will close with a, 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 a slight monologue on that, um, but more so the process and why the WNBA... Um, and why and how uh, the WNBA got to this point. So again, you're listening to Locked On Women's Basketball. I am your Tuesday, Thursday host, Erica Lindsay Ayala. On Tuesdays, we give you essential resources. I got to give some love and some shine to my good friend, Ari Chambers. If you missed that episode, check it out. Of course, also talks about her collaboration with Playa Society and gave a lot of love to the next newsletter. I mentioned that my that I am the Big East contributor to the next, and I just did my first Big East weekly. So every week I will be giving you updates on the Big East, uh, so all of the breaking news, scores, players of the week, etc. So check all of that out, and you can listen uh, to Tuesday's show for even more information. But again, today we're going to talk about the WNBA and what they continue to do Um 
and focus and bring their focus on Georgia. I've talked about the Georgia race. Uh, I've mentioned in past in, 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 in past podcasts, excuse me, that the WMBPA again has shirts uh, with a vote with the the O as the Georgia Peach. Um, so those are things that you can find on Breaking Tea. There is a lot that the WMBPA is doing to promote voting and to promote specifically Raphael Warnock. And the reason that they're doing that, and again, there are two runoffs, but they are focused on the race that Raphael Warnock is running because they are running against a partial owner of the Atlanta Dream. And in this episode, you'll hear from Sue Bird and you'll hear from Neka Ogumike from this event talk about why they chose to focus their attention on this race. Of course, to benefit the state of Georgia. Again, my monologue will tell you uh, why, from my opinion, this race is particularly interesting uh, when it comes to the Voting Rights Act and the legacy of John Lewis. I've talked about that on this podcast before. Um, but I think what was important uh, was, and Angel McCautry also discusses this, and I'll play a few clips, uh, a short clip from her. But um, for the, the WNBA players to see a WNBA partial owner um, run on some of the messaging that she ran on was, to say the least, uh, alarming, uh, offensive, and thus very personal to the WNBA. Uh, The players, I should say. And I, I would argue to the fan base. And a lot of people disagree with me when I say this, but for me... The, as it relates to the WNBA, I, I don't like to get into the conversation of Kelly, I always say her name wrong, Leffler, Loffler, Kelly Leffler's politics. The reason I see that as almost a fool's errand is because there are so many owners There are so many individual athletes, uh, fan bases, even entire (laughs) media companies that are grossly um, inappropriate, racist in sports that I just don't... I personally didn't want to enter into that conversation because I know that there are people that will judge Kelly Loeffler, Leffler in her role in Atlanta who are not willing to say the same thing uh, and the same things about NHL owners, NBA owners, NFL period, full stop, uh, college football. Uh, we see this in USA hockey when it comes to sexual abuse and rape culture. So, you know, maybe this was my way of protecting myself from getting upset about an entire culture of sports Um, because I know a lot of people aren't ready for that conversation. So I'm not disagreeing that her methods are certainly questionable. I think it is important for you to hear what Angel McCautry not only said at this event, but she has been saying this. I've spoken to Angel myself 
about this and about the shift and change, her knowing Kelly personally, having been to her house personally, I think it's important to hear from Angel McCautry because there is a strategy involved in this. Um, but, but the, you know, I'm going to move on to the clips that I prepared. But again, my sentiment is, and, and this is overwhelmingly how I feel about politics as well, I'm not... I'm, I'm selective of what fights I take up and with whom I agree or disagree um, because I want more. I want more. Um, and as a society, we're, we're not ready for those conversations. So I'm going to tap out and um, just see how it plays out. Um, that's also how I feel about a certain former president uh, taking issue with the phrase defund the police. But we're going to move on. As I said, we have amazing clips from some of the veterans in the WNBA. So that will be coming up. You're going to hear the clips. This, again, this comes from, again, full disclosure, this was specifically an event to promote Raphael Warnock and to raise money for his campaign. But I believe that I have found elements from this that will give you an understanding of the relationship between the players and the Warnock campaign. Um, I also found it very interesting that Lisa Borders was uh, the moderator of sorts, um, but I will admit that I chuckled a little bit when it was Lisa Borders, former president of the WNBA, who facilitated a conversation about 2016. Now, she didn't go all the way there, but you know Auntie will. If you want to know why I found that a little bit humorous, we're going to talk about that in the next segment. All right, folks, as you can tell, we are staying focused, dare I say, locked on social justice in the WNBA, but I still want to go back to the Forbes 30 under 30 list. So we're going to move that conversation to Tuesday's show and want to continue to give you essential resources, especially during this holiday season, which many for many is also a gift giving season. So all of that coming up next week on Locked On Women's Basketball, particularly for the shows I'm hosting on Tuesday and Thursday. So as I mentioned, Lisa Borders, former president of the WNBA, was facilitating and moderating this conversation. Lisa Borders comes from the politics and definitely faith community. So she has a, a way of facilitating that. She used to bring that energy to the WNBA. And while I recognized it, just, you know, going to a, a Baptist church in Mount Vernon, New York, growing up, um... You know, sometimes Auntie was a little extra, so, uh, but it was overwhelmingly fun to hear her bring that energy to this moderation. I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of good facilitation, keeping things moving. So overwhelmingly, I do think Lisa Borders did that. But what I found interesting is that Lisa Borders, and I'm going to play this clip in a minute, she asks about the 
evolution, I suppose you would say, between 2016 and 2020. And although I appreciated the question, I did find it ironic. I found it a bit humorous because Lisa Borders was the president that gave uh, and brought down the fines to the WNBA players when they wore shirts supporting Black Lives Matter. And I can't speak to the specifics um, I do know that she was the president of the league, so that to me instructs that there there was some level of authority and leadership. And I've talked about this before. I've written about this. Shout out to my piece in Sports Illustrated about Terry Jackson. I'm going to link that for you because Terry talks about this a lot. But um, not only were those fines brought down for the players and individual teams, um, but those fines were higher than your standard fine for not wearing the proper apparel. So, for example, if you wear a Nike sports bra that happens to be visible for whatever reason, maybe you tuck your uniform and Adidas is the official sponsor, if that Nike logo is showing anywhere where it's not supposed to be, such as your sneakers, then you could be fined. Let's say the fine is $200. I think it was around there. Um, but this time, wearing shirts that did not don the, at the time it was Adidas, was the official sponsor of the league. Those shirts did not have an Adidas logo and also happened to be shirts promoting Black Lives Matter. The fine was not the standard $200, but it was $500. And so I have a lot of questions about that. I mean... Can, did the CBA at the time say that there could be an increased fine for at the whim of the league? I have questions there. Uh, you know, that conversation just, I would love to have been a fly on the wall. So that's why I found it a little bit funny and I was chuckling as Lisa Borders was facilitating that piece. Uh, and she got straight to it. She didn't take all of the turns that I did, but I just had to, since I have a podcast, I wanted to talk about that because it was just so glaring for me as someone who followed the league. But here is the question that Lisa Borders asks Sue Bird about the momentum that has built in the WNBA, certainly among its players, since 2016, and just as of as note, in case you do not know, uh, Lisa Borders as president and the over and the overall WNBA did end up rescinding those fines. So, to my knowledge, none of those fines by the teams uh, nor the individual players were paid out. Just as a note, but okay, here is Lisa Borders, um, and Sue Bird talking. This is from an event last night to support the campaign of Raphael Warnock. Sue, can you talk about the vetting process that you guys went through for Reverend Warnock? It's one thing to see politics on TV and hear it and follow it on your phone. It's quite another to step out and endorse a candidate. So talk a little bit about how you guys decided to do that and what process you went through for the general. And obviously, you're supporting him through the runoff. So can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, I mean, what a wild ride. You know, we, we didn't really, you know, like Nika said, it was like all of a sudden we were kind of in this political world we weren't used to. Um, but given what we went through with, and this is actually going to be the first time I say her name in a long time, um, Senator Loeffler, 
you know, especially the players on the Atlanta Dream and then the other players in our league who reside in Georgia, um, it was a bit of an emotional roller coaster. It was tough to have an owner not support the fact that Black Lives Matter when, like I said earlier, you know, our, our, our I think it's like 75, 80% of our league is Black. Um, so at first we had this like knee-jerk reaction of sorts, just like an emotional, like I said, reaction. Um, and we quickly realized that we couldn't necessarily force her out of our league, but we also knew this wasn't the type of person we would want in the Senate. And that's really what led us to Reverend Warnock. And I gotta say, it's rare in life where all the stars align, and that's really what happened on so many levels. You know, we kind of did our own little vetting, like got, got Googling, if you will. Like I was on there Googling, reading some stuff. And quickly we found that Stacey Abrams who is on our advisory board, had already endorsed Reverend Warnock. We found you again, Lisa. And for those that, that don't know, um, Lisa was the, the president, so we know her of our league very well. And um, so right away, it was like, check mark, check mark, check mark. Okay. But, you know, so we knew he was a good guy, obviously. Uh, but we still wanted to get to know him on a deeper level before we had uh, 144 players back him. And that's when he was kind enough to get on a Zoom call with us. And it's actually kind of funny looking back on it because in his introduction, he spoke about healthcare. He spoke about LGBTQ issues, criminal justice reform, um, being pro-choice, and of course, his support and how proud he was with our work with um, Say Her Name and just overall, you know, wanting Black Lives to Matter. So he was so good in his intro that we actually didn't have that many questions. <laughs> like he kind of just like hit it out the park and the rest of the Zoom was spent with him and his team guiding us. You know, like I said, we're not political strategists. So it was really Reverend Warnock that advised us to not use her name. Um, that taught us it would only, you know, give that name power. And instead we should continue to focus on what we're already doing, right? Promoting the things that, that we found to be most important. Um, so what I'll always take away from that vetting process and those Zoom calls was the way in which Reverend Warnock, who was fighting his own fight and trying to get into the Senate was so willing and eager to help us fight our fight. In that clip, you heard from Sue Bird. Uh, as I mentioned, Lisa Borders asked a question about how the WNBA got from 2016 to 2020. But I also want you to hear this clip from Neka Ogumike. Um, I thought it was funny. Reverend Warnock got a little bit of trouble pronouncing Neka's first name right, but... I can't get Loeffler, Leffler right, so who am I to judge? But um, NECA is talking a little bit about um, the importance for the WNBA players of being civically engaged, engaged in human rights, and how that often has spilled into the political world. So here's NECA Ogumike, also on this same call. We all felt... Um, incredibly compelled with what's been going on in our world to be more engaged and um, what better way than to establish a social justice council um, and also kind of organize as we had kind of practice in negotiating a CBA to understand how we needed to educate ourselves around um, civic engagement and outside of just us using our platforms to engage politically um, you know, we were also, you know, involved in politics without our asking. <laughs> and, and at the same time, we were incredibly informed through 
many conversations with incredibly phenomenal people who are experts in their own fields um, for us to be able to walk the walk and talk the talk. And we were able, when everything that we were putting out there, we, will all, we were also learning about um, in our own rights. We were able to register to vote, fill out the census and circulate that type of information that allowed us to be authentic in our engagement and how we used our platform. And finally, in this segment, I would like you to hear from Angel McCautry. Um, she did not speak as much as the other two, and you'll learn why in just a moment. But Angel McCautry, again, talking about her personal experience with Kelly, her personal experience um, being in the Atlanta-specific community, but of course within the state of Georgia, and um, why the transfer, I don't even know if it's really a transfer, but why the support of Reverend Warnock is something personally that Angel McCautry intends to do. And why personally Angel McCautry has offered her support to Reverend Warnock. Absolutely. Well, first let me say uh, thank you for having me on here. Excuse me for being in the car. I have to actually speak to some kids, socially distancing a few, but when I got the call to come on, I couldn't turn it, turn it up. But um, I just want to say, yeah, I've known Kelly for a long time, um, you know, being with Atlanta Dream. Um, so I got to know her really well. Uh, but as soon as she got in politics, there was definitely a change in um, her character and things like that. And I understand if you have to be political, be political. But I think when it comes to human rights, as Robin Renock said, politics and human rights are two totally different things. You know what I mean? So. And of course, I've known uh, Reverend Warnock from being here and being at Ebenezer Church. I always knew what he stood for. So of course, when you were comparing the two to see what the values were in each one, Reverend Warnock is the one who stood for the people with healthcare, the things that even Sue Bird said. And of course, shout out to Sue Bird and the community for uh, putting together the shirts uh, for endorsing Reverend Warnock. But when you just compare the two and what they believed in, it was just a no brainer that Reverend Warnock was for the people. And just the things that Kelly has said and done it, it was shocking to see, and it was things that me personally, um, I couldn't support. In the next segment, I want to play the, the full clip of what you heard. You heard a little bit of a snippet from Reverend Warnock in the beginning of the show. I want to play you a little bit more from that, because I, I really think Reverend Warnock gives, the like I said, the props to the WNBA in a way that's extremely important. Uh, I also want to introduce an article that makes the same case that the WNBA definitely made an impact on the Georgia election. Now, I've talked before on this podcast that I'm not here for everyone only talking about the WNBA when it comes to Georgia, only talking about Stacey Abrams when it comes to Georgia, because there is a long legacy of voter uh suppression of disenfranchisement, particularly in southern states like Georgia. And so, as promised, I will give you a little bit of a monologue. I don't know if it's a monologue because I didn't really prepare anything, but I'm going to make my case for why Georgia is important, How what actions I'm taking to be supportive of the Georgia election, but to the greater end, to a greater end goal. And, um, that's what we will talk about coming up in the next segment. If you want to get basketball smart, it starts with listening to Hollinger and Duncan podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. 
NBA analytics pioneer and front office insider John Hollinger joins Dunked On podcast host Nate Duncan to bring you scouting reports, game breakdowns, and salary cap analysis. Subscribe to Hollinger and Duncan today, wherever you get your podcasts. As promised, I want to start this segment with Raphael Warnock himself. And this would have been, I think, right after... Sue Bird and Neka Ogumike were talking a little bit about the process. Um, and Neka actually asks Reverend Warnock a question about what I'll be talking about shortly. How to get involved in Georgia if you're not from Georgia, if you're not able to travel to Georgia, as a lot of, you know, if you're not already in Georgia, it's probably not a good idea with a worldwide pandemic to travel down there, as you might in a normal political cycle. Uh, But before answering that question, and I will play a a little bit um, of what Reverend Warnock says, just a little bit, um, but I want to play in its entirety what Reverend Warnock said about the support that his political campaign received from the WNBA. And I want you, as you're listening to this, not just to think of Reverend Warnock's campaign. Obviously, this event was surrounding and was meant to support his campaign. But think about the impact that athletes, think about the impact that all of us can have if we take this approach. And and when I hear Reverend Warnock speak, I can resonate with what he says. So here's that full clip. So, Thanks, Angel. Great work. <laughs> so we've um, obviously had conversations with you, Reverend Warnock, and um, I think you, like Sue said, you just done an excellent job of guiding and educating. And you know, in this moment now, it's crazy to see that we're in this moment now, um, because in my adult life, this is the first time I'm truly learning about a runoff, and so. Um, we want to know as athletes, you know, with platforms or even just citizens um, anywhere who want to support this campaign, like what can we do from afar? Uh, I got advice on a Zoom a couple weeks ago about it's not a good idea for everyone to just go to Georgia, obviously. So we, we want to know what you think we can do to, um, you know, continue the fight. Thank you, and I'll answer your question. But let me let me just pause because sometimes things, great things are happening, and I just don't. I want to make sure we don't miss it. And I mean, we. I mean, everybody who's watching right now. You know, we we just when you decide to step up and to stand up, you just never really know the impact that you may have in that moment, or maybe that moment leads to another moment, and you all decided to stand up for a Senate candidate, pastor of a church. You didn't really know. How we could not have known a few months ago that when the dust settled on November 3rd, there'd be two runoffs. Both of them would be in Georgia. And one of those runoffs would be a Senate candidate that the whole league stood up and supported. I don't know if that's ever happened. But, you know, there was no way to, for you to know just how consequential this particular race was going to be. Now the whole country is watching and we've got these two Senate races going on in Georgia, and you're very much a part of it. And so I just want to flag that 
for somebody who's thinking about step, stepping up and standing up. That's the pastor in me. I want to encourage you to step up because you don't know the ripple effect that your voice can have. And so in this moment, uh, listen, our democracy is on the line. Uh, they're clearly folk who just don't seem to respect American values, the rule of law, equal protection under the law, uh, the nonviolent and unchaotic transfer of power, uh, the ways in which we can all, you know, push us toward a more perfect union. And again, the purpose of this podcast is not for me to endorse Reverend Warnock. It is not for me to sway Georgia voters to vote one way or another, but I do hope in the spirit of the WNBA uh, and what I happen to agree with in in their platform, uh, I do encourage you to vote. And so although I am not going to, again, for the purposes of this podcast and because I I am not personally endorsing any candidate out of Georgia, I don't think that's personally my place and that's not how I choose to engage. Uh, I do want to promote for anyone who might be listening from the state of Georgia how you can vote, especially those who, as you will hear, maybe were not of age to vote um, in November and will be of age for the runoff January 5th. So this is Reverend Warnock explaining that particular process as well as early voting and when to uh, register to vote. And if you know people in Georgia, tell them to vote. Vote like their life depends on it. We learned tragically this year that it does. That we say elections have consequences. As we've watched over 260,000 Americans lose their lives, most of whom unnecessarily, we see that elections are really a matter of life and death. Um, Early voting begins on December 14th, tell your friends in Georgia. And uh, you can start voting by mail right now. And if you didn't even vote on November 3rd, don't go into a corner somewhere and feel ashamed that you didn't vote. If you live in Georgia, guess what? You get one more time to get it right. Maybe you weren't 18 on November 3rd, but you're 18 now. You'll be November, You'll be 18 by January 5th. Guess what? You can register to vote. The deadline for that is December 7th. Just a few things wrapping up my takeaways from this event. Again, it was very much so a fundraising event, which I knew, uh, to watch the event live you were asked to make a donation of any kind. Um, and then the the clip is available now. I will leave that link for anyone who so chooses to watch. I do think there are some amazing nuggets in there. But again, um, there it's, it's an endorsement. It's to create buzz and hype around the Warnock campaign. I just want to let you know that. One of the things that stood out to me very personally, uh, well, there are a handful of things, but the first thing that I want to talk about is Reverend Warnock talks about being a college-age student in New York and remembering Amadou Diallo. And he couldn't remember exactly how many times Amadou Diallo was shot at, but I do. It was 41 times. And the reason that I remember Amadou Diallo is because my grandfather, who has now passed, owned a building adjacent to the street that Amadou Diallo lived on. As a child, I remember looking out the window from my grandparents' apartment, the six train buzzing by. Uh, You know, Jennifer Lopez ain't the only one who was raised on the six, but 
I would sing songs and make up stories about the people walking by on Westchester Avenue in the Bronx, New York. And the reason I will always remember Amadou Diallo is because that story, it was 1999. I mean, how old could I have been? Just over 10 years old. I guess about 13, 12 or 13. I remember that was the first time I ever felt unsafe going to my grandparents' house, going to the building that my grandfather owned. The first time I ever felt unsafe was after learning that Amadou Diallo had been shot at 41 times. And it was interesting to hear Reverend Warnock talk about what an impact that made. And that was the first time he talks about being arrested for civil disobedience for the first time in New York. And how there's so many names that have come after Amadou, so many other activists and religious leaders, people of faith who have been arrested for civil disobedience, for, for daring to put their body on the line, to disrupt society as we know it, to honor and amplify and make sure that people remember that being shot at 41 times to the point where there were bullet holes in the soles of Amadou Diallo's feet because he was being shot at when he already hit the ground. I will never forget Amadou Diallo. And I will never forget that a place where, you know what, quite honestly, if I'm keeping it real, a lot of people don't wouldn't consider Westchester Avenue in the Bronx, New York safe. But those are my people. That's my community. Walking down the streets, hearing people talk Spanish, recognizing my grandparents, knowing them in the community. Never once did I not feel safe there until 1999. So that's one thing I want to share. The other thing that I want to share is that over time, because of the WNBA following a little bit more closely, Reverend Warnock in particular, I did not realize that he was a pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church. Lots of history, um, but there are two figures. One is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the second, John Lewis, who were parishioners um, and have a history um, at that church. And I want to focus on John Lewis. During the WNBA season, the WNBA players and a lot of athletes who engage in activism are asked very pointed questions. Well, what do you expect kneeling to do? What do you expect wearing Black Lives Matter shirts to do? And respectfully, I challenged the WNBA. Yes, we should get people to register to vote. We should tell them about the census. But I asked, I asked Sue Bird. I asked Lasia Clarendon. I asked Chelsea Gray, who is a teammate of NECA's, of course, with the Sparks, if they planned to uplift the renewal of the Voting Rights Act named after John Lewis. That act was passed in the House of Representatives prior to John Lewis's death and has never even been put to a vote by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell had a lot of glowing words to say after John Lewis passed away, but has yet to put that to a vote. What I will say about Georgia and these two runoffs, 
is that there's an opportunity for Mitch McConnell to no longer be the majority leader and for the Democrats to pick the majority leader. Now, on the one hand, that's important because it's been it's evidently clear that Mitch McConnell as a representative of the Republican Party has no interest in truly honoring the legacy of John Lewis who has brought the Voting Rights Act for renewal over and over and over and over again in his lifetime. So there's that aspect of it. But again, I'm not a part of any political party, and this is precisely why. I think it is egregious. It is an egregious lack of conviction lack of respect to the political process, let alone John Lewis and his legacy. Let, and and it's, it's a disgusting display of politics over people to not put the Voting Rights Act renewal even up for a vote, not even introducing it to vote. It's one thing if the vote does not pass the Senate, it has already passed in the House. If it doesn't pass in the Senate, it doesn't pass. But the, the lack of of accountability for an elected official to not put to vote something that will ensure that their that, that the right to vote for American citizens is guaranteed is beyond my comprehension. Absolutely beyond my comprehension. This isn't about what political party Mitch McConnell happens to be a representative of because I <laughs> How do I want to say this? The reason I'm not affiliated with a political any political party is because I don't trust any overwhelmingly uh, overwhelmingly I don't trust any political party to do the right thing. I don't want to be beholden to the culture of politics that exists in the Democratic or Republican Party. I don't believe in that culture. I believe in following the rule of law. I believe in the, the moral compass and moral code of society. And I, I believed for a long time that politicians were supposed to uphold that and to be the best and most enlightened of us when it came to that. And I started learning this when I actually studied political science in school, and it has only grown more and more evident that that is not what politicians do. But one thing I will say about the Constitution and why the United States is unique in its attainment for democracy, because I don't believe we truly live in a democracy for a lot of different reasons. As we can see right now, coronavirus and how sports are handling coronavirus are being decided because of money um, and not because of a democratic process. But I digress. So for me, this isn't about Mitch McConnell the Republican. This is about Mitch McConnell, the leader. I hope that by the sheer fact of removing a leader that is unwilling to put this renewal to vote, that another leader will. I don't care what 
what party that leader represents. But the vote in Georgia is an opportunity to, without Mitch McConnell, without waiting for him to step down, to create a new structure of leadership, to create um, and to um, put in a new majority leader. Now, who that leader would be, if it is indeed from the Democratic Party, is a whole nother question. Uh, I would say I do not endorse anyone from my personal home state. Uh, I think it needs to be someone completely different. Um, so that's just, again, my personal take. So that's why this Georgia election is on my mind, right? Georgia on my mind. Ray Charles. That's why this election is on my mind. Because I find it... I, I, I can't even express how disrespectful it is that the Voting Rights Act has become uh, a partisan issue. Uh, and that has deep roots in racism. There's no getting around it. And neither party has shown the courage or conviction to do the right thing and allow voters to vote. Now, who they vote for, just like I said, I'm not endorsing anyone on this podcast. I'm not endorsing anyone in the Georgia election. I do implore those who are in Georgia and can vote to vote. Absolutely. I don't care. I personally do not care who you vote for. But I believe in the process because I have to. The only thing over time that has protected marginalized communities is the law. But when we have politicians police officers and other agencies that won't even follow the own law that they have sworn to protect that's why people are dying and continue to die in this country and not even putting a voting rights act renewal to to vote not even putting it to vote shows me that more is needed than vote shirts. More is needed than kneeling. More is needed than wearing shirts that say Black Lives Matter. So when I said in the beginning of the podcast that I want more, this is what I'm talking about. This is the more that I want. And so yes, I will be watching Georgia. I will not be donating I will not personally be volunteering any time. Those are my choices. And you know what? I have every right to make those choices. And the reason I'll share this, not that you asked, and not that it, it should matter, but the reason I'm not focused so much and I'm not putting my attention on the Georgia election, although I'm paying close attention, is because whoever gets elected, my expectation is that the Senate will put the Voting Rights Act renewal to vote. That is my expectation. That is what I have been fighting for. And I'm very, I'm very resolute in that. So this has been another Social Justice Thursday. As I said, the goal here was not for me to convince you to vote one way or another. It was to show a pathway for athlete activism, and also in my monologue, my rant, to make a case for why I personally think that there's more to be done. 
advocating for a candidate is certainly a part of the democratic process, a part of the political process, just as is donating to political campaigns or donating to bail funds. I just so happen to not activate in those ways, but that doesn't mean that I myself can't find some reason to be engaged and to closely watch Georgia and to encourage those in Georgia to vote. And so if that's your path, maybe you don't think exactly as I do, which is completely fine. (laughs) I'm finding most people don't, not yet. Um, That's fine. But if, if you want to know, if you're feeling maybe that you want to be involved and you don't want to be involved in any of the ways that the WMBPA, for example, is being involved, just listen to what Reverend Warnock said. Speak up, speak out, because in doing so, the WNBA made the Georgia race, arguably races, that is, of course, the political races, very close. I mentioned that there's an article, I didn't really get to talk much about it, but I'm going to link that for you, an article also making the case that the WNBA did impact the Georgia elections. And just like Reverend Warnock said, I want to emphasize that any of us, we don't have to be a WNBA player sponsored by Nike or Adidas to make a difference. And the WNBA is evidence of that, and there are so many others. I've given you my case as to why this Georgia election is important and why I'm very singularly focused on the Voting Rights Act renewal. Find your way. Find what you're passionate about. And let your voice be heard. This is my last show for this week uh but we will come back next week i'll give you a little bit of news because auntie is planning to get away for a little bit so i'll explain a little bit of what i hope to do while i'm away as always i wish you a happy i wish you a healthy and uh it's the holiday season folks so uh let's find ways to love and support each other until next week erica Lindsay ayala out (laughs) 